Episode 55, The Russian Threat. Are they coming after us? And what can I do? Read by your author, David Koff. Fear is the mind killer. An unusual number of friends and readers have been reaching out to me privately over the past two weeks, all asking the same question. What can I do to protect myself during the coming Russian cyber attack? I understand the fear. I am also glad that current events are making so many people take their first or 10th look at their digital privacy and security measures. Revisiting your tools, plans, and priorities is always a great idea. But not because the Russians are coming. Unless you happen to be a high-ranking diplomat, government official, or an aide to one of those people, it's probably safe to assume that you will not personally be targeted by a Russian or Chinese or North Korean cyber attack. The better question to ask is this. If a cyber war is launched, what are the most likely targets in my country? And how would a partially or fully successful attack impact me? Let's have a look. Part one, the important question. Are you a target? The best way to understand the answer to that question is to consider a short list of other questions. One, are you someone who is or does something important? Earlier, I used the example of a diplomat. Other examples might include being a local, state, or national political leader, being famous for your profession, or being someone who has easy access to people in power. Two, if your digital devices or records were hacked, would it put your life in physical danger? What about the lives of other people? Three, do you own or manage vast sums of money? This question is important for those who have amassed wealth and for the people they hire to manage their money for them. And four, do you work at or have virtual access to any kind of public infrastructure? For example, do you work at any of the large utility companies that provide electricity, gas, or energy to an entire city, region, state, or country? If you answered yes to one or more of these questions, then part two of this episode will be important for you to read and act upon. If you answered no to each of these four questions, then you're most likely not a target for a coordinated cyber attack by the Russians or any other state-sponsored malicious hacking. Congratulations! Let's take a nice deep breath and relax. <sighs> Breathing feels nice, doesn't it? Now. For the powerful reminder, even if you're not being targeted by the Russians, you should still invest time and effort in your own cybersecurity. That's because your savings and your possessions, however large or small they may be, are of great value to you. Trust me when I tell you, even if the Russians aren't interested in you, there are plenty of other malicious hackers, scammers, and con artists who are very skilled at helping part you with your hard-earned cash. Two unfortunate examples. The first, uh, my relatives. They lost about $50,000 to a digital scam. Now, that amount isn't enough to show up on the radar for any state-sponsored hackers, but it was plenty enough for a smaller foreign operation to run an unfortunately successful phishing campaign. The second, 
A dear friend recently had her identity compromised. She fell for a different kind of scam that saw her giving her social security number, birth date, and bank account numbers to someone she thought represented a state institution. Look, shit happens, and it happens to many of us, including those who aren't rich, famous, or powerful. It pays to be prepared. Part two, how to harden your cybersecurity. There are concrete steps that anyone can take to help strengthen or harden their digital security measures. I'll break down some of my top choices below, including the time commitment you might need. Start using multi-factor authentication. Skill lever, beginner to intermediate, time to learn, five to 10 minutes. Time to set up, five to 10 minutes per account, and the cost free. I hate being a broken record, but it's important at a time like this to beat the drum. Multi-factor authentication, also called MFA, is free, easy to use, and can make the difference between your accounts being easy to hack or nearly impossible to break. MFA ensures that anyone, including you, who tries to access your protected account would require physical access to your cell phone to be able to gain entry. That means even if your username and password are somehow obtained, your MFA-protected accounts will remain safe. It does this by providing a six-digit password on your phone that changes every 30 seconds. An MFA-enabled account will ask for this six-digit challenge code after you've logged in with your username and password. I did a deep dive into MFA in episode 36, and if you've got five to 10 minutes, please head over to that episode now and give it a read. I think it's an invaluable tool and one that I use myself. I still use the Authy app by Twilio to manage all of my MFA accounts, and it's stood the test of time. You should use it as well. Authy isn't only just a great app, it is, but it's also an awesome resource and how to set up many of the world's most popular platforms with MFA using Authy's easy to read guides. And there is a screenshot included showing Authy's easy to use setup guides for many of the world's most popular email platforms. My recommendation, lock every crucial account with MFA that you can. I use MFA to harden my email accounts, social media accounts, Zoom account, and many of my online payment providers. That includes my bank. You should too. As some of you may rightly ask, uh, won't my needing to produce a six-digit number as a second challenge mean I'll have to spend extra time logging in to my crucial accounts? Yes, that's true. It will cost you another five to ten seconds on each login. But will this practice help secure these accounts in a huge way? Also, yes. Please note, if your bank doesn't provide MFA and you're someone who really needs to protect themselves, I'd find another bank. I realize that's a strong statement, but given how easy it is for any institution to set up MFA and given how much more secure it is than 
security questions, I don't understand why it's not law for all banks to provide this. Next up, start using an open source password manager. Skill level, beginner. Time to learn, five to 10 minutes. Time to set up, five minutes to start, and then about 30 to 60 minutes if you are migrating all of your usernames and passwords from another service. Cost free. Now my regular readers know that I use and highly recommend Bitwarden as your password manager. Not only is it free, but it's 100% open source, the gold standard for any piece of software. Does that make it better than say 1Password or LastPass? Ah, uh, yeah, it does. I've used both 1Password and LastPass and look, they're really good graphically and they're pleasing to look at and use, but I just don't want a company that will not share their software code with the world to then ask me to just trust them. I'm sorry, that's not how this works. Security and privacy are based on trust. There's no trust unless other people can see and vet your code, and that's what the term open source means. Also, Bitwarden is free. LastPass is currently $36 a year for a single user. One password is two. I'd rather save the money and get a better product. If you're switching from LastPass, Bitwarden's got a help page for how to do that, and ditto for 1Password. More importantly, having a password manager means you need to know how to use it. Most people, by a huge margin, use the same password or passwords that are similar for all of their crucial websites. You should never, never, never do that. Never. Instead, have Bitwarden auto-generate a long, complex, and unique password for each and every website that you visit. Here's how. And I have embedded an image from Bitwarden's interface. It is color-coded. After installing Bitwarden and setting up a username and password, click the extension icon in your browser window top at right in the pink box and then on generator button which is the red box at the bottom when the interface comes up check the boxes for capitalize and include number in the blue box and check the passphrase radio button yellow box i choose to use an exclamation mark as my word separator green box and i default to at least three words as the number of words that will be used Bitwarden automatically generates a new password for you with these criteria. In this case, my password is unviable1, exclamation mark, headsman, exclamation mark, unaware, which is a fabulous password because it's both long and complex. Now, you'll just want to run this same process for each of your various crucial websites. Should you do this with all of your websites? Well, yes, that is a really good idea. But is that a realistic goal right now? Well, maybe not. So start by using Bitwarden to create unique, long, and complex passwords for these kinds of accounts. Email and communications, all social media, banking, 
and financial. Any domain registrars that host your websites like GoDaddy, Network Solutions, Bluehost, etc. And yes, your password manager. Set aside 60 to 90 minutes to start this process and give yourself extra protection from malicious hackers. Next up, using a secure messaging platform. Skill level, beginner. Time to learn, 10 to 15 minutes. Time to set up, 5 minutes to start, and about 10 minutes to add your family, friends, and colleagues. Cost, also free. For messages that require top security and privacy, use a trusted open source application that provides end-to-end -end encryption, or E2EE. Currently, there are only two real options to consider, Signal and Wire. And I discussed both of these messaging services back in episode 39. It's worth investing another 10 to 15 minutes of your time to give that episode a read. Now, I personally use Signal for anything I need to communicate that I consider important. Sharing a password, discussing a private medical matter with a friend, or chatting with any of my family's legal or financial team. While Apple has claimed to be a champion of privacy, they've caved to demands from both Russia and China for those regimes to be able to access user data, so I can't trust them in this department. Facebook owns WhatsApp, so they too cannot be trusted. Well, signal and wire it is. For email, the gold standard in secure email is ProtonMail. The company offers both free and paid tiers with different perks and benefits. I've used the free tier for many years without a problem. ProtonMail deserves the accolades and positive reviews they regularly receive. Next up, Stop allowing others to track your whereabouts. Skill lever, beginner. Time to learn, zero minutes. Time to set up, zero minutes. Cost free, minus the cost of actually owning a smartphone. Now, some of you will read that section title and think I'm talking about posting your whereabouts on social media or giving others access to your whereabouts using Apple's Find Me feature. I'm not although you really should stop doing those two things. No, I'm talking about your actual smartphone itself. The electrical transmitter and receiver that uses Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, cellular data, and GPS coordinates to help identify where you are and that you usually keep in your pocket. Practically speaking, high-target individuals and their teams don't really have a choice here. If you don't want to be tracked by others, then you need to leave your phones at home when you travel. But David, you scream, it's my phone, I need it. Do you, really? Do you really need your phone every time you go out? Because, you know, there was a time not too long ago when none of us had smartphones and we all seemed to navigate through our lives just fine. If we needed to meet someone, we called them in advance and agreed on a time and a place. But David, you scream again. I can just put my smartphone in airplane mode and then I can't be tracked. Actually, no. Your phone still tracks your location when it's in airplane mode. Ah, yeah. Wanna blow your mind? Open up your smartphone maps application. Put your phone into airplane mode. 
Now get in a car or taxi and watch what happens on the map as you're moving. The map tracks your location still while you're in airplane mode. Here's a video from my own phone that I shot yesterday. If you believe you're a high visibility target for hacking and you must travel with your phone, then please read episode eight. There, I walk my readers through how to set up and then use a more secured mobile device. Part three, what's more likely to happen? If you want to know what the Russians might do, then you need to think like a dictator who wants to disrupt and then punish his adversaries into submission. Russia has an established track record of seeking to compromise and inflict chaos on its enemies even before a single shot is fired. In the US and in other countries, that's been accomplished both via relentless social media disinformation campaigns and through notable and malicious hacks like the Solar Winds attack, which in 2020 breached servers throughout the United States government. This is why I'd expect more of the same should the Russians start a more direct cyber war with the United States. In this scenario, targeting a handful of individuals won't disrupt the enemy. No, to do that, you need to go for the jugular. And for most developed nations, that's the public infrastructure, how we get our electricity, our water, and our gas. And hot newsflash, Russia's already started that campaign. In case you've not been paying attention, they started years ago. In 2018, then Secretary of Energy Rick Perry spoke to Congress and said that cyber attacks on American infrastructure were, quote, literally happening hundreds of thousands of times a day, end quote. And then last year in 2021, a hacking collective known as Darkside breached the Colonial Pipeline an oil refinery that pumps 2.5 million barrels of oil a day here in the U.S. The group is thought to be Russian in origin. The best solution? Prepare. When I lived in Los Angeles, we all learned to keep prepared for the eventuality of an earthquake. This meant stocking up on some food, blankets, candles, pet supplies, and any crucial medications. Also, some hard-toe shoes to be able to walk over the glass that might have shattered. Then, when earthquakes struck, and I lived in LA during the Northridge quake of 1992, many of us were far better prepared to live without everyday luxuries like electricity and or gas for some periods of time. This is no different. When Russia strikes, I assume they'll go after utility companies and find ways to shut down the flow of oil, gas, electricity, and water. Millions can be impacted. More chaos is possible. But not if people prepare. So go analog, friends. Have a five to 10 day reserve of food, fuel, drinking water, warmth or cool, depending on your environment, light, and any supplies you need to care for your pets, elderly relatives, etc. Being prepared is a proven technique. It not only works if you live in areas where there are natural disasters like earthquakes, hurricanes, and tornadoes, but it also works when dealing with the prospect of war. More importantly, preparing feels good. 
It's an insurance policy you'll be so glad you've got should the day ever come when you need it. And that is a wrap for today's episode, everyone. Thanks again to my free and paid subscribers for supporting independent technology journalism. I also thank you in advance for using the link below to share Tech Talk with your friends, family, and colleagues. And as always, serve safe.